Uh, good evening. Every once in a while, just feel like breaking out one of the older sermons that I've preached in, in the past, and today we're going to look at the four alls of the Great Commission. It's a good to be reminded of really our mission in this world is to go out into all the world, of course, Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verses 18 through 20, will be the text that we're going to look at. It says here, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And so what we have here is Matthew's account of the Great Commission. This Great Commission is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three of those gospel accounts record an account of this Great Commission. And so uh, it is truly a worldwide charge that is for all people of all time. It's not just to the apostles, and we'll talk about why that's the case in just a moment. But this commission was given by Jesus uh, at the Mount of Ascension, or just before he ascended back unto the Father. And as we look there in the context, you go back to verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And so here the apostles are present here, primarily who's present. Uh, and uh, he speaks these words to them, all authority is given unto me in heaven. Or use the word power in the King James. The Greek word is exousia. It is the idea of authority, the authority that a, that a king or a ruler exercises. It is all authority is given unto him in heaven and on earth. Now these final words spoken by Jesus before he ascended back to the Father, uh, really can be divided into four parts, and, and we'll call these the four alls of the Great Commission. All power is given unto me. Uh, there's that great claim that is made. And go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever have commanded you, and lo, I am with you, all way, not the same all, obviously, but it sounds the same, all way, even until the end of the world. And so as we look at this, we'll look at this in each part of it on its own. He begins with the idea that all power is given unto me. You know, Jesus never claimed any authority before his death and resurrection. In John chapter 5 and verse 19 uh, there it says, Then Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself. But what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. He's not claiming authority uh, necessarily. He says he comes from the authority of the Father. He goes back to the Father, John 14 and verse 24. Says he that loveth me keepeth not my loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, 
but the fathers which sent me. And so he never claimed authority before his death. No, also before his death, no one ever prayed in his name. Uh, but now we are to pray to the Father in his name. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20. Uh, Paul simply says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now before his death, no one ever baptized in his name. And now we are to baptize in his name. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so he says that all power is given unto me. Now these words point to a definite uh, time when this all-embracing authority was bestowed upon him. And so when was this authority given to him? You know, we look in Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. Uh, here it simply says he was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. You know, all of the miracles and all the things that Jesus did in his life were signs that pointed to who he is, the Son of God. But uh, he was declared to be the Son of God with power, the most powerful uh, reason to believe that Jesus is the Son of God is the resurrection. And so it's after the resurrection that this authority, now we see he has that authority. Look over with me in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read beginning in verse 19 down to verse 23. It says, and he, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet, gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all and all. You know, so we see the power of God has been vested in Christ. Christ is the head of the church. Notice also in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, it says here, For by him, speaking of Christ, were all things created that are in heaven. Now, just a little note there, the, uh, the Jehovah Witness version of the Bible says all other things were created uh, by him. Uh, implying that Jesus himself is created. But if you go back in here, of course, he is not a created being. He is God. That's just a little side note. Uh, and so, um, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is the head of all, or he is before all things. And by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And so now, after the resurrection, 
at the ascension, we, he declared his power, uh, his authority, all authority. And when, when he says all, that means there is none other authority that is not his. All authority in heaven and on earth. And so this excludes anyone else that would claim to have any authority, any man or woman, any religious body, uh, any uh, synod or any of those things that claim to have authority. Uh, Jesus has it all, left none for men. You know, religious division today is not so much over an interpretation as it is over a lack of respect for proper authority. The authority of Jesus Christ. You know, uh, one thing that was always instilled in us at the school of preaching or at the, the school of biblical studies, it wasn't strictly just a school of preaching, but uh, that uh, if there was going to be a motto at all at the school, it would have been, uh, Jesus Christ has all authority. And that's one of the things that we need to drill into our heads, that Jesus Christ has all authority. Men do not have authority. There is no body of men uh, no denomination, no synod, no group that is able to have the authority that Jesus has. He has all of it, left none for man. And so when it comes to religion, Jesus Christ is it. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way to the Father except through Him, John 14 and verse 6. Uh, that's Jack's paraphrase there. And so as we go on here, he says, all power is given to me. And so he says, go ye therefore. That therefore harkens back to the authority of Jesus. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Uh, and so he had the right here to tell his disciples, because he has all authority, to go and preach the gospel to go and teach all nations. Now he didn't specify how. You know, we see that Paul walked and sometimes he sailed. He went at least one time under incarceration. Uh, he went uh, and he preached the gospel in various ways. You know, with us today, the, the same is true. It, you know, we can get on a boat and we can sail across the Pacific Ocean and, and we can uh, go to Guam or someplace like that and preach the gospel. Or we can get in a plane. Or if we have a lot of stamina, we might swim. But I don't think that's really possible. But uh, how we go doesn't matter. The idea is that we must go and teach all nations. And, and I like the American Standard Version of this a little better. Uh, because it says, make disciples. And that's really uh, the word teach. That uh, implies the making of a disciple. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is one who imitates his master. And so uh, to make disciples. You know, a disciple is a Christian. We read in Acts 11 and verse 26 that the Christians or the church, Christ, blah, blah, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And so Acts chapter 11 verse 26, as though you have disciple and Christian, uh, they are uh, synonymous terms. And so, in other words, he's saying, go and make other Christians. And the Great Commission, we learn how to, be a, 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 how to become a Christian. You know, a summary of all that Jesus said in the three gospel accounts of the commission will show that the sinner, in order to become a Christian, must believe. Notice uh, with me in Mark chapter 16, 
uh, verses 15 and 16. He gives the same commission, just it's worded differently. It simply says, uh, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And so we see that one must believe. Uh, one also must repent. Uh, over in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 46, in verse 47, again, uh, Luke's account of the commission, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And so repentance and remission of sins taught uh, beginning in Jerusalem. And so the idea that we must repent. And then, of course, Matthew 28, verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And so we see that one must believe, one must repent of their sins, uh, one must be baptized for the remission of their sins. In other places we're told also that one must confess that they believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so... Uh, Go ye make disciples, or teach, make disciples in all nations. Uh, all nations. That's everywhere. In all the world. You know, all the world starts right outside those doors. We can and must carry the great commission of Christ into the world. And we can start right here in this town right now. That door on the, in the foyer facing east has that sign over the door. And I now know why it was put there. You're now entering the greatest mission field in the world because the Jenkins lived over there and they needed it. <laughs> no, I, yeah. <laughs> of course, I lived next door for a while. That sign was there and we needed it. And so uh, whoever's there needs it. Whoever's out here in this community needs to hear the gospel. And so... Uh, Go into all the world, in all nations. And sometimes, you know, it seems like we're all excited to go into other places. But what about right here? What about in our own homes? That's really where it starts. Those of you who have young children, it starts in your home. That's all the world starts in your children's bedrooms. It starts at the kitchen table. It starts at your neighbor's house. It starts, you know, down the street. And so uh, we are to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And baptism, of course, is immersion. You know, it's funny, uh, one time I was uh, at the Lafayette County Jail, and, and there was a fellow there that wanted to be baptized. And, and we had been talking, David Long had been talking with the sheriff, uh, the deputies there, the head, whatever, that runs the jail. And I had talked with him, and... and uh, they said, well, we'll just take a bottle of water back there and you can sprinkle it on his head. And I was talking to the guy I'd been studying with and I asked him, I said, what would you think if I came back here and, and, and called it a baptism and just took a water bottle and poured it over your head? And he, was, he just looked at me and said, that's not baptism. Baptism is immersion. He understood that. He had heard enough lessons from David and I that he understood that baptism had to be an immersion. And the sheriff uh, and the 
whoever was over the uh, jail there just was stubborn and would not give in. And I pray that when that fellow went off to, I believe he went off to Leavenworth. No, he, he went to another federal prison. I don't remember which one. But I pray that he had a, they gave him the opportunity to be baptized. And I believe he probably did get an opportunity if that's really what he wanted to do. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Uh, you know, this means the combined authority of all the Godhead. This is the only thing that is done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And so, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Uh, and then we see the great command, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And so this is the, really the charge of edification. Teaching them to observe, that is, teaching those baptized believers. You know, the teaching does not end at baptism. You know, oftentimes it seems like people really strive to get someone to be baptized into the church. And then once they're in the church, they just uh, are neglected. They don't grow. And uh, they're not taught. We need to teach and continue to teach. And so, uh, you know, some people just can't see anything in the commission but baptism. And that's all they want to do. They want to get someone in the water. But in order to get to heaven, you've got to get through the water, but you've also got to continue to grow and study to show yourself approved unto God, to be a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so uh, the church needs to know what to do to keep saved as much as the sinner needs to know what to do to be saved from his past sins. You know, you look at the, the New Testaments. You have four gospel accounts and one uh, account of the history of the church. And then you have uh, the Apocalypse, the, the book of Revelation. All those books in between, though, there's 21 of them. They're directed to Christians. And so when you think about it, there's more sermon material in those 21 uh, books of the New Testament than there is anywhere else. Therefore, you know, when we labor to preach the gospel, we always uh, endeavor to build up and edify and indoctrinate the brethren. And now, I use that word indoctrinate, and that's always used nowadays in a negative light. But really, the word just means that you teach it to someone until it is ingrained in them. We teach the gospel to someone, we teach the word of God to someone until it becomes ingrained in them. You know, I've got a friend that showed me a Bible that was given to him. He still preaches out of it. It was given to him by like his sixth grade uh, Sunday school teacher, Bible, Bible class teacher. And in the front cover, she wrote on that book, she says, get into this book until this book gets into you. Now, he's always had that and he's always kept that as a reminder. And so you think about that. We, we've got to study. We've got to learn. We've got to grow uh, by applying the word of God to our life. And so uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. Paul told Timothy. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things. Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. What things? The things of the, the teachings of the New Testament. You know, why is this so necessary? 
So that the church can continue steadfastly in the Lord's service. As we see Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. That early church, those first Christians it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. You know, today there is such a thing as the Apostles' Creed, and that is not what we're talking about here. The Apostles' Creed is a doctrine invented by men, where they said these are the essential teachings of the, of the, uh, of the Apostles, and everything else really doesn't matter. All they're saying is the doctrine of the Apostles taught. What doctrine did the Apostles teach? They taught the doctrine given them by Christ. And so they continued steadfastly in the teaching of the apostles. Now, what happens when we do that? In Ephesians 4 and verse 14, you know, we're, to, we're to endeavor to do that so that henceforth we be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Now, how do we know the, the difference between a truth and deception? We study the truth. That's, all, you know, that's the only thing I can tell you. You've got to know the truth in order to know what a lie is. You know, you think about Adam and Eve. They heard the truth. That if they ate from the fruit of that tree, which grows in the midst of the garden, that the day they ate thereof, they would surely die. They had been taught that. And remember what the devil did to them. He added one little word. He shall not surely die. And he caused them to, to believe that uh, they would not die a physical death. And what, Jesus, what God meant when he told them that they would die spiritually. The devil switched the meaning up on them. They should have known the truth. And they should have not been deceived. But sometimes our brains just don't connect what we know to uh, what we do. And that's why we need to grow in the Word. So that we can make that connection between what we know and what we do, the application of it. Then uh, in, where am I? Second Peter chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. Uh, here's the consequences of not growing. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what saves us the knowledge, the Word of God, the knowledge of the Word of God, that's what saves us in our application of it. They are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered them. And so we see why it is so essential that we continue to grow and continue to study and continue to be taught the Word of God. And so uh, we're to teach them to observe all things whatsoever Christ has commanded. You know, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 20, you know, Paul, in speaking to the Ephesian elders, he says, and Reminding them how I kept back nothing that was profitable to you. 
but have showed you and taught you publicly from house to house. He endeavored to preach all the counsel of God. He says in verses 26 and 27, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Uh, Implied in that last statement, uh, he says, I am pure from the blood of all men. Your blood is not on my hands because I have taught you everything the Bible commands you to do. The implication is if he has not taught them everything the Bible commands, then their blood is upon him. And so uh, he says, I have taught you all the counsel of God. And I am free, I am pure from the blood of all men. So to be loyal to Christ, we have to teach all the Lord has commanded Christians to do and to be. There is no unnecessary teachings of Christ. There are no essential, also no essential teachings outside of the Word of God. And so uh, we don't need anything other than the Word of God, but we must not leave anything out of the Word of God. And so when we teach all things, you know, we must rebuke as well as praise, must warn as well as instruct. And so we see the great command, we're to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And right there in the text, what did he command them to do? Go ye therefore and make disciples in all nations. That's why the Great Commission applies not just to the apostles to whom it was given, but it applies to everyone of every age, every Christian, and every uh, century. And then we see uh, the great comfort. He says, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. You know, this promise really is threefold. It is a promise of personal presence. He says, I am with you. Present tense, active mood. He is continuing to be with us. He is with us now and he will be with us always. Not his representation, but he himself. Number two, there is that abiding presence. Always. You know, the Greek phrase here is pasastas hameras. Literally means each and every day. Especially as we go about doing his bidding, following the Great Commission. When he sent the apostles on the limited commission, remember he sent them out to the lost sheep of Israel, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 6. Uh-oh, I don't have that written down. Matthew 10 and verse 6. Funny how we become so dependent on things like iPads and then you forget it and you go back to doing the old-fashioned way and uh, you're not as good at it. <laughs> Matthew chapter 10 and verse 6 says simply, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I thought there was something else there. All right, so he said, go unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 also says, provide neither gold, nor silver, nor brass in your purse, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meats. And so he sent them out really with nothing. 
to go out into the lost sheep of Israel to preach the gospel to them. Uh, notice Matthew 10, verse 28, uh, down to verse 31. It says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Uh, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them uh, shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than any sparrows. You know, he gives the assurance as they go out to not be afraid. Doesn't mean that there's no danger and that nothing bad can happen to them. Really, what that means is if we're going out and doing what God commands us to do. You know, there's a song in the songbook somewhere talking about if I die on some foreign field someday. He is with us wherever we go. We need not be afraid. You know, although Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, His abiding presence is still with us. It still comforts us. It still blesses us. You know, Paul was Christ's chosen vessel to bear His name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel in Acts chapter 9 and verse 15. You know, Paul was not afraid. He went in some hostile places, places that were hostile to Christianity and without fear, he preached the gospel. Because he knew that uh, if they took his life, he would go and be with the Lord. In fact, he made that very clear in Philippians chapter 1. That if he lost his life, so much the better. Because he'd go and be with the Lord. He was not afraid because he knew there was nothing to fear. Because they could not harm his soul, just his body. And the body is just the temporary home of the soul, isn't it? And so uh, they can destroy my tent without bothering me too much. As Christ's chosen servant, he was assured of Christ's presence with him. In Acts chapter 18 and verse 10, The Lord said unto him, For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Uh, while also imprisoned in Jerusalem, Acts 23 and verse 11 says, The night following the Lord stood by me, or by him, and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Paul was so assured that Christ was with him and would be him to the end that he was able to say in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, notice what he has to say here, knowing that his death is imminent any day now. He says, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Likewise, Christ is with us as we go forth carrying his gospel message to the world. He is with us when we are tempted. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you. But such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. But will with the temptation. Make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And then in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. It says there the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly. 
out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. You know, right there in that context, he's talking about Lot. Lot, the one righteous man that was found in all of Sodom and Gomorrah. The man whose righteousness was vexed. His righteous spirit was vexed by the wickedness around him. And yet he, among all the people, was delivered out of that. Because the Lord knows how to deliver the righteous. And so God is with us. Christ is with us. He will be with us when we come to the valley of the shadow of death. To provide a safe passage across the river of separation. Psalm 23 and verse 4. Yea, uh, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. You think about all the times that David walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Knowing that God was with him. The same with the apostle Paul. All the times he faced the valley of the shadow of death, he continued and went forth because he knew God was with him. The same is true for us. God, Christ is with us as we do his will. And so we see a victorious presence of Christ. Uh, even until the end of the world. You know, the, the Greek phrase is, Heos tes sun. Sunateas tal enas amen. Literally, even until the end of the eon, till the end of time, to the end of the world, to the end of time. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 says simply this I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengtheneth me. And then in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, to one of those churches that was facing severe persecution. He wrote, Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He said the devil was going to put some of them in prison. Some of them were going to be tried. Some of them were going to suffer. He said it would be about ten days. Not ten literal days, but a short, definite period of time. They were going to face persecution. He said, be thou faithful unto death. It doesn't just mean until you die a natural death. till you come to the end of your life. It does mean that. But also it means uh, even to the point of death. You know, we're not to fear those that can kill the body. Because they can't harm the soul. We have to understand. They can take our body. They can kill us. And put us to death. But we've got to be faithful. Even up to that point. And so David said. Yea when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. You know, when you come to the valley of the shadow of death, can you claim the Lord as your guide? You know, He will be there to strengthen and guide you uh, into the unending bliss of everlasting life. Only those, though, who obey Him will be saved. We looked at what the Great Commission says we must do. 
Only those who walk faithfully as a Christian in Christ Jesus can remain in that saved condition. We urge you tonight, if you have not uh, obeyed that great uh, commands of, of believe and repent, confess the name of Christ, be baptized uh, for the remission of your sins, we urge you tonight to do so. We urge you tonight, if you haven't been faithful, we urge you to repent and come back. Tonight, if we can help you to respond to the Lord's invitation, let us know by coming forward as we stand and sing.